honestly, like, we we should probably just jump into. Well, let how, can I give? Yeah, let's give some pretext of what we're like. I have like seen in politics this broken system where if you're in a safe district, all you have to do to stay in power 20 years, 25 years, 30 years is keep 51% of likely primary voters of your party in your district happy. 51%. That is not very many people, and they represent the minority of political views overall. Because most Americans fall somewhere closer to the center anyways. Um, and so all of those people, they, they never have to do anything to earn the title they have. They are entrenched, it's on both sides, and it seriously frustrates me. Um, those people act as fundraising machines for their party. They wash the dirty money because they can take it without scrutiny they can take uh you know big oil big coal they can take their money and then give it to these people who are saying that they're grassroots funded competitive candidates and their job is to pour money into the five or six competitive seats in a given region each year whether it be the 40 seats the DCCC really pushed to flip or the I don't know Louisiana the 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 or Mississippi even this the 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 assembly districts that the Republicans chose to target that's where all the resources go well I think actually Virginia would be a good I know I was case study to... on this I know you want I know you're dancing around it but uh, there's no uh, serious campaign finance restrictions in None. Virginia. None. So maybe you can maybe you can speak on. You're pretty uh, you're pretty entrenched in the local yeah. politics there. And uh, I mean, it, how has that manifested compared to? I mean, it, compared to other states that have yeah. that have tighter restrictions. Well, I don't know enough about those. I know. Um there are states with sensible reforms in place not even necessarily super liberal or super republican Mm -hmm. states i think it's just you know a handful here handful there i'd really be interested to know what some other states have done um but in virginia no regulations and so every member and i'm i'm talking about democrats and republicans if they are not in a a seat deemed competitive then they have caucus dues and they have to pay those dues and that money is diverted into the five or six races that they have to pour resources into. It, in my opinion, and I'm jumping a little bit here, and and I want to work back and then work up to it again, but in my opinion, the campaign finance issues go away a little bit and a little bit at a time as the number of competitive districts in a given area increase. Because resources have to be diverted. So if we make, if we find a way, oh man, there's so many things I want to mention here, but there are so many issues, and campaign finance being one of the greatest ones in my opinion, that are fixed by implementing competitive, fair, non-gerrymandered districts. And every party's guilty of it. 
and I'm sorry I'm on my soapbox here, but like every party is guilty of it. They get in power and then they do everything they can to retain that power by cheating. And it's wrong. And I think it is one of the greatest political issues of our time, but we don't talk about it nearly enough. End There's quote. a lot there, yeah. End quote. Wow, that was all right. Round of applause. For... No, but no, you're I I think you're absolutely correct. Um, but you know, is making races more competitive is that per se really the solution? I, I would imagine that without actual restrictions put on campaign financing. Um, I mean, gerrymandering is a whole other issue that I'm hoping we'll get into later on. But in terms of campaign financing, like making making the districts just more competitive, I, I, don't, I don't think that gets to the root of the problem. Because, I mean, we see a lot of competitive racism, which a ridiculous amount of money is poured into. Yeah. Um, that's something I wanted to talk about. We, I think we've both been looking into this a lot. And, and it's weird because as soon as I started really caring about this recently, it's like my whole Twitter feed somehow yeah. cared about it too. And so I, um, I think it was Ben Tribbett, who's a popular analyst in Virginia. He brought up the question that you just brought up. Does competitive necessarily mean fair? And so there's two major criteria that that legislative map drawing is based on either like a geometric criteria which is about fairness in terms of compactness following like natural borders that are occurring and like making districts look normal that's one criteria people shoot for the other one is actual fairness criteria and maybe i've got my terminology a little off but like it is based off creating the most number of competitive districts in terms of like party performance um and you cannot have both the, you can find a good mix between them but you will never have the districts will never be both the most competitive and the most fair yeah and that raises a lot of questions about how districts should be drawn and the fact that it's just done right now i, I mean it's the system is pretty out of control in how partisan it is. And I don't think that's how it was intended to be. The The idea of a district is to capture a voting block yeah. that, like you said, is going to both be competitive and also rep provide some substantive and descriptive. I think that needs to be talked about a bit more. The descriptive representation, how that matters. Like getting getting more women elected to state legislators yeah. and 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 uh, you know obviously the federal government too uh, and seeing more people of color being elected from some of these districts that have been so gerrymandered and broken up that they've they don't have a voice yeah I don't want to get this wrong but the one of the potential problems I see with what you're saying is something Virginia did try and, and I hope I don't have my history wrong here, but what I've always heard is what, that when Doug Wilder, who was the first African-American governor of Virginia, one of the first in the country, I think, um, he wanted to increase the number of African-Americans in elected office to try and increase representation. He saw it as, send them there, they'll speak for these entire communities, even the ones not in, but you need to get them in office first. And so uh, his districts that were drawn put people of color into 
heavily concentrated districts. Now, however many years later, the remnants of that is that it actually dilutes their political power by doing that to them. And um, and so like, I think that's a potential problem with what you're saying. Um, so like, if we want to increase the number of those people, we can't do it through drawing districts that favor that kind of person, right? Well, it depends because if you have a if you have a strong concentration of minority populations in one area of the state, then and, and there's like and it's the population is scarce in the rest of the state, then drawing a district would increase the representation because then, um, yeah, then their voice would be able to uh, uh. elect a representative for and it's like and I I'm trying to be careful with my language here because I, I don't mean that they're, they're guaranteed to elect uh, someone of like you know, who's a minority themselves but at least they'll be able to elect someone like through a major like majority um, minority district so the problem lies in if you create compact fair districts that take let's say you have four districts and the center of all four of those districts is exactly the middle of a community exactly, of color, yeah. chops them up into four, right. puts them in districts that are 75% white each. Yep. It dilutes the vote. Yeah, that's where the problem lies. Yeah, so but but this is this is an issue that is has to be taken on a case-by-case basis because there's other areas in which it's the the, the population is more uh, spaced out and that I mean, you have to address these issues um, accordingly. Otherwise, you're you're cutting people's vote. You're you're making it count less. You're diluting people's voice. Um, that's tough. And there's so many avenues that we could go from here to discuss. Um, multi-member districts. I, I I don't know much about them. I'm not exposed to them. Um, but I've been reading about them today, and they seem pretty fascinating to me because, like, it allows the districts make more sense, generally, and they're these bigger districts, and they elect, I guess, multiple people, but are, I don't know enough about them, I guess. Also, what I've seen um, come up l- lately when talking about uh, voting reform uh, is cumulative voting. Have you looked into that at all? So that's where you have as many votes as there are um, candidates, I think, or you have three votes or something like that. And so you can space them out amongst how many, like if you're kind of, you know, in between on two candidates, you can put your vote with two or you can put all three with one or you can put two with one and then one with another. Like you can strategically vote. And that, that's been said to increase the, um, uh, the representation for like these minority populations. Wow. Um, so it's that's a simple thing, but I feel yeah. like it could fix so many issues. I can't, I can't explain in my head why it would do that, but like, it seems like it would. Well, because you can strategically vote. Yeah. So, so the, a candidate, um, who has a sort of minority majority support would, would, you could concentrate the vote on that candidate. So you can strategically vote in um, 
those candidates. Activists may vote for, you know, put all three behind their party's right. person. Right. But an independent could put two behind the Democrat that they're leaning towards and one behind the Republican because they're really freaking terrified of the libertarian. <laughs> I like that. Does anybody have that in place? Um, I don't remember. I think there was a couple states that had it for electing just like local local positions. Um, but I can't remember which ones. Yeah. So how do we fix it then, Eddie? How do we fix... In, if we were to keep the kind of maps we have now, single member... Well, hold on a second. I have an idea. Okay? Oh, God, are you really going to put this on the podcast? We're going to go in on this. I don't think anybody will be able to follow it. I, I can explain it. All right. So I hope I'm not insulting our listeners. You are. <laughs> this is go wonk yourself. We need, to have some, we need to have some serious structural reform with voting. And I think there's been a, a, a tension between our need for geographically isolated districts and the need for substantive and descriptive representation. So what I'm proposing here is maintaining those geographic districts so that you elect members who are from your locality who are familiar with the community and knows what the community needs but through census data and other means i don't know there's so much data available about people now we're able to pinpoint people down to their favorite foods so we should know we know more about the populate the population and what they need and we're not making use of that information. Yeah. And it's important. So we can use that data to organize people into voting blocks that aren't constrained by geographic borders. Those would be these quote-unquote districts that are borderless. It's just people organized into vo voting blocks who then can elect substantive representatives that represent their needs. Because let's be real, you could, we could go three miles in one direction and be in a world that's unlike ours in terms of, of like needs and, and whatnot. And we can go, you know, three miles in another direction and be in like another world we wouldn't recognize in terms of just the sheer wealth around us. Like geographic borders are, me are becoming less and less descriptive of who lives there things are becoming more like, universal like people are people are spreading out you know you, you never know who you're going to meet so we need to find a way to address that and make sure people maintain their voice um so we need to replace the senate with substantive representatives because that's what senators were meant to do in the first place they were supposed to represent the overall the state's needs exactly yeah and so the so if we double the size of congress give people two votes one vote for their geographic district 
and one for their substantive representative and send them to Congress. Hey, it could be could be a good idea. There's a lot of like minor detail questions that would need to be answered, but it, it, it does at face value answer one of my biggest qualms with representative democracy in that there's always a population forever basically disenfranchised in uncompetitive districts. It but it is, doesn't have to be that way. We have that's the what technology. I'm saying, Eddie, like, like ever since I had this realization, and it wasn't long ago, I think I've always kind of accepted it, but, like, when I really thought about that, I think about the, the Democrat, socialist, tree-hugging liberal out in the middle of nowhere in the boondocks in Virginia. Yeah. They will always be represented by someone who never speaks up for them. And I don't care that in the in the somewhat urban district next door they have a Democrat. And if you work hard enough, the Democrats will be in control. That's a messed up way of of running a government. Like and even even talk about party control then. When when the Democrats or Republicans come into control of a legislative body, it is their body for the next few years, especially when they control all three branches of government. I understand the majority of citizens in that place voted for them to be in control, but the other people still exist, and they still have needs. And I'm not talking about, you know, my white suburban neighbor's view on immigration, but I am talking about they run a small business and still need someone who's going to listen to them. Like, yeah, but they it, don't it have goes, that. It goes a lot deeper than just presidential candidates don't visit my state. Yeah, it it wow. it's 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 about people's sense that their country is actually working for them, that their representative is going out there and serving their best needs, like that. And that's a powerful thing. I mean, think of how you know we're we're super into politics. You know, you and I. But yeah, I forget somehow. Sometimes. But there's some areas where it's so, it's just so set in stone yeah. how things are yeah. that it's not even motivating anymore. Yeah. Like to, to even try to fight it. It's like trying to fight this massive system that's just been entrenched for generations. And we're starting to see those crumble. I mean, we saw that with Virginia, I think. I mean, maybe you want to speak on that but um but i think that's i think it's happening the only term i can think of is winner take all um if if i by chance live in a district that's gonna elect a democrat then then i've either got a democrat on almost every issue and no representation for the i'm not i don't know how to word this right but like it's winner take all like one party gets in control, it's their government for the next few years. And we have checks and balances in place and whatever, but at the end of the day, one party's in control. Um, I think that's why a lot of people deep down like believe in split government. Like they, they like when like a Democrat's in the governor's mansion and a and Republican legislative body. But that's besides the point. Like, um I just there are good elected officials who will sit down with anyone and and talk but at the end of the day their loyalty is to the party and they're going to vote with the party and i don't want the other like it will forever bother me that these other people are just not represented at those times 
I, I just want to go back to what you what you said about uh, the population being biased towards a split government. I think that's a really interesting point. I don't think we think about that a whole lot. The fact that what like we elect a Republican president and then immediately elect a almost always. Oh man, and, and yeah, that's. I don't know. I mean, like, I know that's a well-documented phenomenon, but that's just like I, I just find that super I'd interesting like to, about how yeah. how we what psychologically collectively yeah. do that, and um, who are these voters? <laughs> that's the thing, Eddie. It's most of them. Yeah, like people. Okay, like all over Twitter, they're like independents are the largest voting bloc, but they're like they are swing voters. Yes, and I don't know. That's one of the major differences in in among political analysts and like their thought is do you cater to the base to have higher turnout or do you cater to the middle to win over swing voters and like generally analysts lean to one way or the other it's usually better in a like this goes back to our electoral system it's easier i mean it's better to aim towards the middle typically i think that's better for democracy well but that's i mean but that's what our system is meant to do yeah we're in a two-party system it is winner take all it's a pendulum we yeah I mean, think about how our elections are carried out. I mean, the, when you compare the popular vote, you have the number. What was, what was the popular vote? Uh, 63 million or something. Yeah. And um, when you compare that to, you know, the electoral college votes that Trump got, yeah. I mean, it, that is win- that's what winner-take-all looks like. That's, you know, first past the post. But, like... I more mean in the sense of, like, then what happens... Okay, so, like, let's not talk about the Electoral College, because that... The Electoral College literally flips it mm-hmm. to whereas, like... In, anyways, but, like, a state delegate, like, let's say one gets 10,001 votes, one gets 9,999 votes. All of those 9,999 votes are kind of delegitimized at that point. Like, they are thrown away. Because all those people still showed up and said, represent me, be my voice. And, like, we just said, oh, there weren't quite enough of you, so shut up for two years. Yeah. And if your delegate's a good delegate, he'll still sit down with you. But, like, you lost. We won. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, that, I mean, that is the cutthroat system <sighs> we live in. Um, but, and... You know, a lot of people throw around ideas of proportional representation. I don't know what what your thoughts on that are, but you know, I mean, it, it's it's a possible solution. I think if there's if it's going to happen, it would have to start at a local level. I mean, like try. I mean, I I can imagine California going for it and like and trying to implement something like yeah. that. Um. I mean, especially as as we start to recognize more of the, um, like we we talk about minority communities. I mean, proportional representation literally would increase the representation of minority communities. We could have parties like dedicated solely to the needs of different groups now granted the nra would be a party and that'd be terrifying and they'd probably have like one seat <laughs> there are but, governments with quotas like quota systems for elected officials oh yeah well for most do I and like say. they require their party 
party's slate of candidates to meet certain quotas. Yes. Yeah. Won't freedom of speech forever get in the way of us trying anything like that? How so? In the sense of, like, you can't tell them to not run the candidates that their people believe in. Like, I feel like that's why we struggle with election regulation in the first place is we say elections should almost... There is a population who believes elections should be totally unhinged, like, unregulated in the sense of, like, campaign finance laws, that sort of thing, unlimited amounts of money, because, like, anything you do to infringe on that democratic process that's not is... most people, dude. That's I know, but I'm just people. saying, people... Most people want campaign finance. Oh, I agree. Regulations. I agree. And, and most people... Most people don't want money in politics. Yeah. It, who wants money in politics but the people with the money to spend it? But, like, I think what that's saying is, like, isn't that kind of uh, infringing on their freedoms of speech? Like, I feel like that is my problem in general with campaign finance reform as an issue is I think we have to address it systemically because addressing it by, like, prohibiting certain forms of it that is how you address it systemically. No. See, that's why I believe in the system of, like, making the most number of competitive districts. Because I believe if you distribute the resources that much, then it... Um, man, dude, the the money still has that power. I know. that It has the power to swing elections. And it also has the power to just have leverage over politicians. Amazon, man. We always come back to Amazon. And I know uh, your little device, I'm not going to say your name, is going to start talking if I, uh... <laughs> I was watching, <laughs> wait, really quick, I'm watching a TV show right now that has a character with that name, A-L-E-X-A, and it goes off all the time. Oh, no. Because she hears it in the TV show, and then, oh, it's so obnoxious. Continue what you were saying. Um... Yeah, the, the the amount of leverage that Amazon has over our legislators yeah. is pretty profound. And that's just, I mean, since the dawn of time, man, since the dawn of money, money talks. And it's it's it speaks loud, louder than the 99% of every other American trying to speak about their issues. I mean, this is how I kind of framed it. Um, I was talking to someone today uh, <laughs> about this, about this issue. And, Casually. Yeah, and ju just like the systemic problems. Like, there's a debate about the minimum wage, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. The CEO of McDonald's, as you might know, was sleeping with an employee and recently got fired for it. He got a quote-unquote exit package of somewhere around $41 million for getting fired. We're arguing, of, we have to beg for minimum wage increase, a minimum wage increase that is adjusted for inflation, that isn't, you know, decent for the 1960s, at the same time that this CEO of McDonald's gets paid $41 million for sleeping with an employee. That's the world we're living in. 
That's the power of money. I want to disclaim that often on this podcast, you and I exhibit or demonstrate political views that do not necessarily represent our own, but we are often being the devil's advocate, correct? What do you mean? I'm just disclaiming that. What? Do we, do we ever argue perspectives that we don't necessarily believe in, but we are just being devil's advocate? Is that what you think I'm doing right No, now? I'm about to do it. <laughs> oh, do it. Go for it. Amazon. It is a product of Bezos' success. Yes. And why do at some point get to say he's too successful, stop him from being able to give his hard-earned money to the candidates he believes in? I give my $5 to Elizabeth Warren. I gave it to her when she was running for Senate. She didn't represent me. Why do I get a say over that? Because... Because I one, earned that one money. voice is louder than the other. Your five dollars is but nothing he, in the face of so so he worked so he worked harder and and invented more things and did more. Yes. So he gets a louder voice. Yes. Again, disclaimer. I mentioned that disclaimer for a reason. I'm just arguing a perspective here. But what did what did Jeff Bezos do to earn his genes and environment that he was born into? that no i'm just played out hold on okay now i want to let my own perspective out a little bit like i agree with you like the public schools he may have i don't know if he went to public school but like it's elizabeth warren's point she's been making since her senate run we paid for his success through public schools through public infrastructure all these things like we invested in him and his upbringing and his family and like in in the city he lived in we you know, we gave him access to clean water, broadband, all these things. The government invested that. I totally believe that. Like, I believe in the collective. Like, we, we come together, we invest our resources together, and we all benefit from it. I believe in that. But there is an argument for he still did something right. It wasn't all luck. There had to have been some skill in there. He, he did get lucky. But... He made some good decisions along the way to help him be that lucky, I think. All right, I'm going to avoid going full determinist on you just so we don't get in the weeds. Yeah, but, no, please, we can't but, do but, that. But all I'm saying is that... Not on the podcast. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's it's obviously important to reward hard work, and I'm, I'm not against that at all. I, and believe me, I, I think Jeff Bezos, for the work he's done for, like, I can, I can click, one click, and it's there yeah. at my door the next day. I mean, look, the technology, I mean, he obviously, he obviously deserves, like, reward for that, right? I yeah. mean, but it doesn't have to be that he can have, I mean, how, how much is he worth right now? Hundred something billion? Is yeah, I mean, just, just an absurd amount of money. I, I just don't want to live in a world where someone has that much and the people at the very bottom can't even eat 112 billion i i agree with you it's awful i think about it every day i mean it and just the and i don't care that bill gates shrek like strikes what is the word i don't care that he writes checks strokes checks (laughs) every day for millions of dollars to charity Mm -hmm. that doesn't make up for it there's like exactly his wealth could end homelessness and so many other issues. And like, and 
And if I take $3 billion from him, he'll still be Bill Gates. <laughs> but like... But that's just evidence, I think, that... We, I mean, we always talk about the scales, the pendulum swinging too far in one direction and then it correcting. We just need a correction. Because right now, we have the prosperity and the technology to make life really, really good for almost everyone. Okay. If not everyone. At least we can raise the minimum living standard of everyone yeah, right I agree. now. It's totally possible, and we have the resources and technology to do it. We just have to make it happen. Um, there was an issue that Elizabeth Warren was passionate about that she has certainly shied away from on the campaign trail, and that's antitrust laws. She talks about it with big tech, but she doesn't talk about it anywhere else. Is that... Is that... I mean, we talk about a wealth tax. That's a major part of it. But so much of that money is invested into the corporations themselves. They are machines. And now, they are... Well, well, let's just start. Let's start even, even more basic than that. Closing tax loopholes. Okay. Making corporations pay their... I know, I know. You, you know what I'm going to say. But is she paying true. you? <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by yeah. Elizabeth Warren for president. Paid for and authorized. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for real. I, I think that's a good start. Because right now they're, you know, Amazon. Anyway, this is, now I'm getting Andrew Yang. But they paid zero in taxes. Yeah. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? How can that happen? If not for the power of money, man. Yeah. It's sad. How do we fix it? We need to get money out of politics. Yeah. And we need to make sure that, you know, the the bottom... I don't want to see the bottom tax bracket have to suffer yeah and starve and just not i mean not being able to have the bare necessities healthcare yeah while we have a corporate elite that have so much excess wealth so it would appear that we're going to have some lost footage of- <laughs> There's going to be a found footage. Uh, it'll never be it'll, found. Well, it'll never be found. Well, we just had the greatest 10 minutes of our lives. I think, like, we rewrote the Green New Deal. <laughs> and then I looked at my computer, and it had stopped recording. Yeah, we better keep an eye on that laptop. I'm going to keep an eye on it now. Um. Okay, so what we were talking about, those. Um... This idea of being willing to redistribute wealth and implementing a standard of living, a real standard of living, it's much bigger than like a constitutional amendment. It is a change in the social contract as we know it. Um, is that something we're it's ready not, for? Though. It is. It's, it's enshrined in our constitution that... And I know, look, I know a lot of people get upset, but I think it, it is indicative that people get upset when you bring up the 
that Congress is supposed to promote the general wel yeah. welfare of the public. That's one of their duties. And, and obviously that's open to interpretation and there's a continuum for how you think that should be implemented. But at the end of the day, what's happening right now is not promoting the general, the general welfare of the public. Are we ready to say like we did with FDR that we want to reshape uh, we are. distribution and wealth? all of the polling data shows that we are. The only thing that's stopping us is this feeling that we're not ready. But that feeling only comes from the elites telling us that we're being unreasonable for asking for well, a and higher... gerrymandering campaign finance reform. <laughs> I mean, but that's all a manifestation of that. Of, of those elites who draw those district lines yeah. and who pour all that money into campaigns, they're all saying, what they're saying is that their voice matters more than the general public. We know more, we know better. So we just need to reclaim our voice. And I don't mean R in like, you know, like a, you know, populist sort of way. You do. No, I don't. Uh, I mean that in the abstract hour, um, but the masses, man, have the potential, like the, the polling data, like I said, it shows that they support universal health care and a higher minimum wage. Yeah. Like all of these issues, even when you go to things like universal background checks, have a majority who support 92 percent or something it's, crazy it's like something that. absurd like that all of these issues everything's lined up like everyone wants these things and it's it's a bit disheartening that yeah. it's it's we just feel like we're being unreasonable asking for those things yeah um i had to knock doors a lot in the last few weeks of the campaign mm. And you talk to a lot of people, and they tell you their stories. Yeah. And all I could think when I was talking to some of the folks in um, poverty-stricken communities in Virginia Beach and Norfolk is, like, if someone were to, if I were to get paid $100,000 for my job, would I mind only having 80 so that that person could have an extra 1000 2000 And not even necessarily all in the form of monetary, if there were, if we were able to implement social programs to help that person get a new job, um, you know, let them go to community college, all of those things, so that that person, if I, it's almost like I look at that person and this sounds almost problematic to say, and I don't mean it in that way at all. It's I look at that person as an investment, like I want my money to go towards you because I believe when you do better, I do better. Exactly. Yeah, and when everyone's better off, when everyone's healthier, man. Yeah, when people oh, are, yeah. It, we want yeah. a healthier society. And I bet if you if you ask that, do you want people to be healthier in general? 99% uh -huh. support. Stephen okay. Miller is the 1%. <laughs> but that's the precise result of making sure that people have health care. It's, it's as simple as that, and we have the resources to do it. And everyone says, like, oh, well, like, we can't afford that. Is Bitch! There, can we, what can't we afford? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, I saw a tweet today, and it was like, 
you realize that healthcare insurer you care to love when you pay them for your deductibles, your co-pays, your, and it listed off all these mm-hmm. things that you're required to pay them for. You're paying their lobbyists, their overpaid mm-hmm. CEOs, all these people. Administrative <laughs> fees. <laughs> and like, it's so true. And in Elizabeth Warren, she gets bagged on because she won't admit that middle class taxes under her presidency might increase. I say, Elizabeth, run with it. Because when you, if you, if they listen to you for one second longer and let you explain that overall costs will drop so dramatically that you won't give a damn about your exactly. increase in taxes, and you get better health care. And I think that's why she says that. I think that's why she said it won't raise taxes. Cost. On, it won't raise costs yeah. on the middle class yeah. by a, a by a penny because she released her plan, and she said she would. When it wasn't ready, she said, I'm not ready yet. Yeah. We don't have the plan in place. That it's was gonna impressive. Be, it's going to be a few days or however long. she wanted to get it right. She wanted to get it right, and she released it. And I don't know if you've read it yet, but it's, it's comprehensive. It's thoughtful. And I think she's, I think she's worked it out. And, and I don't mean just her. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole team of That's even smart better, people. Who she, exactly. Who she's surrounded herself by. And I think she's so eager to see this happen that she, I mean, like the spirit of, of we're devolving into the spi- a know, Elizabeth know, Warren The spirit again. of the legislation is overall reduction of costs yeah. for everyday Americans and she knows that and she's worked out the math she's done her homework and just to get like she has to say that because it wouldn't make sense to say anything else it wouldn't make sense to be like we have to raise taxes on the middle class to get this thing that's going to reduce your health care cost to zero implemented it just just doesn't make sense yeah so yeah but i appreciate that from her um i appreciate that she's not just trying to find an answer that fixes enough of the problem to settle people but she's actually just trying to fix the problem um but like it's almost like we have to Healthcare is the big one right now but you can't draw the line there look at oh, the, no, the shape of our the, public schools start. i know i know and that's the fight right now but there are so many other ones, and and I want to come full circle here. You mentioned that polling on all of those issues is is very good. It comes back to, in my opinion, the fact of if we fix campaign finance issues and gerrymandering, which I think can also be fixed by fixing campaign finance issues, those things all start happening, and exactly, and yeah, the government might freaking triple in size but if they're making the world a better place <laughs> Eddie and, and, and I are exchanging looks right like, now it's not even <laughs> like we it, the si- and when we talk about the size of government it's not about whether or not it's going to triple in size it's going to like the government is going to triple in size the question is, is it going to triple in size in terms of pure military power? Or are we going to throw some change towards yeah. other programs going into the future? It's always going to grow. Because 
as corporations become more profitable and pay, supposedly, you know, when when people start making more money and paying more in taxes and, you know, the, the U.S. government is doing fine. And it's going to keep growing. And it's going to keep pouring those resources how whoever's running the show where, where they want to put it. Yeah. So we have to make sure that that, that money's going to a, a good place. Yeah. And right um, now I think we, we feel like we're not, we're not entitled to have a voice in that anymore. I think about like when you see those like Republican tweets that are like basically attacking some of the progressives for attacking rich people. And it's just like, you're like publicly doing their bidding right now and your party's cheering you on while you do it. Don't defend like when, especially when they go after like, I think about it more in the local cases, but like when they go after Zuckerberg or, no, because nobody really comes to his defense. But when they come after these people, like, Republicans come to their defense. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, why? Like, most of your party doesn't believe in those people and in, in the problematic shit they do. And, and and they believe in taxing them their fair share. And you're just, like, doing their bidding. It frustrates me. Yeah, but that's the kind of propaganda that keeps it going. Yeah. This idea that, like, if... As, if as long as Jeff Bezos is getting rich, like I'm inevitably going to get rich because, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. But I don't think that's played. I mean, I don't think that's played out in the way that Republicans claim that it will. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Sorry, my laptop was going to die. Oh. I was trying to decide if I was going to address that now. No, yeah, plug it in. Where do I plug it in? Um, that's my problem with the Warren presidency. I'm sorry I'm bringing it back to this. But, and I guess mm, she has to pick and choose her battles wisely because she needs to focus on the issues that will leave an everlasting impact for us to build upon. And to me, and it's some of the issues she talks about, but it she needs to focus on campaign finance. She needs to focus on on fair redistricting she needs to focus on those things because and finishing the healthcare fight because there's a trickling impact from them for the next person she only gets eight years which i believe she'll I have all eight get, of i mean you got to start with healthcare, and and the reason for that just from a purely pragmatic point of view is that once you give people free health care you're not going to take that away no one is yeah. ever going to take that away it's just, it would be political suicide. I mean, even when um, Republicans repealed the provisions of Obamacare, I mean, Trump's approval rating went down for that because people don't want 
their health care being taken, yeah. like being meddled with. Trump made Obamacare the most popular freaking thing on, the, on earth. Exactly. And every campaign ever is running on health care right now. Republicans and Democrats. So, yeah, that's a good one. I, th- I think she should. And it's just been a fight that's gone on for so long that. Right. It's time to finish it. Yeah. And that's the thing is, like, it's kind of out of the box now. And so, like, you're not putting it back in. Mm-mm. These people are getting their damn health care. So. And I think people are smart. And I think they are. I mean, they are reading her plan. Like, I mean. The calculator. And, and I, I like how. I mean, I, I've, I've heard from a lot of right wing uh, publications that it's an insult and it's, you know, uh, it, it's it's assuming that the American people are dumb. I think I think the American people are smart and know what she's talking about and knows that she's going to go in there and actually get it done. And even if like even if the plan right now has holes in it or flaws, that doesn't mean that it's not possible. Yeah. She's she's running a campaign right now. She can patch things up, you know? And with the help of a, you know, federal government, right, right. These things can happen. Yeah. I, I think we were talking about this recently, but like when did we lose our spirit and our our desire to innovate and and just make major changes people are afraid of it yeah but i don't think it because they're afraid of it for themselves they're just afraid of it collectively mm-hmm. like i think they all think like change they is don't a scary tyranny. thing for society but like i don't mind it like that's what they say well i mean it's it's such an american thing to be skeptical of government and i i understand that i mean it's in our blood to be like rightfully so well hold on a sec rightfully so i agree it's it's a it's our culture to be like hold on a second like what are you doing there government but the fact is it's created such a weird relationship between us and our government yeah in that the government has to be extremely secretive about everything (laughs) about everything because if we know we're gonna you know, we're going to lose it. <laughs> uh, just in class tonight, we were talking about persistent surveillance systems, mm-hmm. unmanned aerial aircraft, yeah. shooting images, 30-mile radius images. When Baltimore was doing it secretly, people got really upset. But when the government actually came to the citizens and said, hey, here's this program, uh, Heart Research just found that it had like 74% approval rating. So, they were afraid of the change because, like, they were just afraid of the change. But when you actually, like, brought it to them and sold them on it. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you say, hey, we're going to shake up healthcare, that's scary. But when you say, hey, here's our plan, here's how we're going to accomplish it. Because then it shows that you're actually, you're not just pandering and you're not just, like, trying to sell something. It's like, like, look, we have this plan for... That, that you asked for. That's the key there. Like, like this is what the voters are asking mm-hmm. for, of how we're going to make sure that everyone has health care at zero cost. And the American people can see that this is an actual plan that's been crafted. And 
and that's where you really get like I mean like what you were saying that that's how you get people to approve of it and say and and also have a feeling that their government is actually doing stuff for them and actually working for them because right now there's such a disconnect between what's going on legislatively because people aren't just a people just aren't aware of it yeah I mean there are some instances in which like a major piece of legislation gets passed but when was the last time that even happened the tax bill <laughs> that was ba- that was basically it but if we have if we elect people who are interested in structural change and big ideas like then we can get excited about yeah. legislation again yeah make america excited about legislation again <laughs> Um, excuse me if this is a stupid question. My brain has been degenerating throughout the evening. <laughs> but I can't help but think that we have this problem where when voters go into the voting booth, they vote based off what they think is good for society, not good for themselves. And I think that's generally the opposite of what we would assume, that people go in there and they vote with themselves. But I think people go in there with this like superiority complex that they know what's best for society. And instead, they need to just vote about, like, themselves. And, like, okay, I think I'm way off par here. But I can't help but think, like, instead of going in there and saying, I'm scared about this person who's running on changing health care. Go in there and say, holy shit, I could get free health care out of voting for this person. You know? I think that might come down to de- Democrats up until now their inability to sell it. If you can sell it in a way that is going to assure people that it is good for society, yeah. it'll be good for you, but you and everyone else. If if they can sell that, then that's no problem because people, the majority of Americans already support that. Yeah. I but think this I've... comes down, I mean, the the, the gap between what people want and what's actually happening that I think boils down to the campaign finance and gerrymandering yeah. that we were talking about before because it is an insane gap yeah oh that's that's it <laughs> yeah no it is um I just hope people are ready to wake up and fix it I think we really like the status quo um and it's really hard i don't to say. think we like the status quo i think we're getting fed up with the status quo i hope so but are we able to offer answers to the republicans who are sick of it yet or even independents well think about why the reason why republicans are in power right now or at least why trump's in power is because people thought that he was going to bring about structural change. And that attitude hasn't gone away. The American people have been conned by this guy who claimed he was going to tear, drain the swamp. That was one of his major slogans. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to drain the swamp. And then just immediately, I shouldn't even say immediately, he was always a part of that, that elite. And he just became a political elite, essentially, 
in terms of, you know, his, his disconnect from the American people. Um, I, but that, that didn't make the need for structural change or the desire for structural change. That didn't go away. And so, you know, I'm optimistic that we're going to get it right, hopefully. I don't know what you think. Do you, do you think we'll get it right? It's almost like there are two kinds of politics. There's the politics of try and sell them on... The, this is the easy option. You try and sell them on... I have pragmatic, rational, legislative solutions that fix problems without shaking things up too much. But the harder option is to actually try and sell them on something new and something different. So instead of saying, well, you know, majority of Americans already support Obamacare, so I should just run on that, you say, why don't I actually take the risk of trying to convince these people that there's a better option? It it's almost from a lack of political courage. You still you sound optimistic though, because that's not even where we're at right now. What the the best way to sell your the best way to sell yourself now seems to be to just absolutely shit on the other side and you know divide. Warren's not doing that. No, she's not, and that's why that's why I think we both like her so much, but. The, the way politics under Trump has been done and how he carried out his campaign was just that. It wasn't about the nitty-gritty policy. He never released a, you know... A plan. A, anything. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's still true to this day. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, the way... <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? You're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, no, I am. But she is selling both the policies and the ideas cohesively. Yes. And we've talked about this before. It's so sad. I want the primary to just be over. But we've talked about this before. She's running on not sexy issues and making them sexy. Um, She's freaking talking about all fiscal money issues, you know? No social issues that are supposed to excite the base. She's running on, like, the issues that just are so fundamental. I think she's caught on. Yeah. I think this, I mean, look, we can get into... Oh, man, how did we turn into a Warren podcast again tonight? (sighs) But she's not, like, getting involved in all of that, like, cancel culture BS that people are sick of. She's 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 drilling down like, look, people, this is what you're angry about. We don't have health care, don't have, you know, a decent minimum wage. Like she's get like she's saying this and getting people to actually. You aren't voting for Elizabeth Warren. You're voting for Medicare for all. You're you're uh-huh. voting for her ideas like she's running on an agenda, not a personality. Right. Her personality is pretty damn great, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm so ready for the primary to be over. I'm just, I'm continuously impressed but think by of how, her. think of how sophisticated that is, because it's, it, what Joe Biden is selling is, I know we always come back to the primaries, but. It's not always a bad thing. And shitting on Joe Biden. Obligatory, we have to, this episode. Yeah. 
Um, what he he what he's trying to sell is like a like a safety net from Trump. Like like bring like, things back to normal. Yeah, like let's bring us back to normal and like everything's all right. You know, just let you know, just let me in. Like you know, mumbling his way into the White House. Um, but Elizabeth Warren is. She is bringing things. She is bringing things back to normal, but in a different way. Normal in that we're about ideas. Like America is about ideas. It was based off of a bunch of wonks sitting around and trying to devise how how this. It doesn't matter that it had never been done before. If it fixes it, let's do it. Exactly. And she's restoring that, and. I think we're all catching on like this is normal everyone's trying to cast her as not the normal like that's not how politics is done she's you know she's like a socialist or whatever but she's the one bringing the ideas okay structural changes we're beating around the barrel a little bit all right um I don't know how to say this, but, like, damn it, I really can't think of it. Just, like, like, it's almost like there's a spectrum of ideas, of extreme ideas that we were willing to say on a, the main political stage, you know? Like, and she it's just like an said... Overton window of policy. Yes, yes. Yeah. And she's just, like, saying, screw that. Like... Let's just throw something else out there, and if it actually fixes it, who well, cares I mean, about the politics to, of that we issue? We have to shout out who started that. Nope. I, yeah, freaking Barack Obama. Do, don't you dare give that angry old man any credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm not kidding. I'm over it. You're over it? Yes, over I want it. him out. You... <laughs> I don't want him in Vermont either. You're sick of him. I am. You really are. I am. You want to talk about privilege? He thinks we owe him something. Just because we're finally catching on to this brand of progressivism, since he apparently invented it, we owe him the nomination? No, Warren came, she saw, she conquered your damn ass. She is the progressive icon now. Like, if if you want that big structural change... He's not the person anymore. It's her. But I think... I, but here's the thing. You're, you're assuming that he's playing by the same rules as everyone else. He's proven... You can't say that he hasn't. He's proven... Bernie Sanders. That he does not give a fuck about what other people think he sh- thinks he should do politically. No, he is obsessed with disruption and being different. Whereas Warren understands that, like, you have to have friends in politics actually get some stuff done. He just loves disrupting. Even AOC is more savvy than him. You need savviness. You do. Elizabeth Warren is one of the most politically savvy people on the planet. Look, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that, like, he's not going to change. Like, he's always going to... He's going to be that sort of railroader into 
the status quo. He's always going to try to throw a monkey wrench into the the operation because that I mean that's that's what he started. That's the movement that he created. It's that anti-establishment Democrat party. I mean, it's it's a, it's like its own party almost. You can see you can so clearly see the divisions. But now there's a perfectly qualified female selling a better version of what you're selling. And it's time to pass the torch. And it's probably not my place to decide that. But I would hope the American people decide that too, like Democratic primary voters. I, I just but don't believe... But I think believe... you're underestimating him, Sanders' support. I, no, I, I totally recognize that... Gi- but if he leaves... Oh. Then they all go to Warren, and this this whole freaking primary is over. You think it would be if that? Bernie dropped out, she'd landslide. Top analysts who I follow on Twitter are starting to say Biden is he's on the track to lose front runner status. That's oh depressing. no, I believe that. Find me a person who six months ago would have claimed that that was an option. I would have hoped so. There, <laughs> I don't think there were any. Yeah, I mean, it's, what do you think it is? Do you think people are just growing tired of him and, no, and I, all the, you know, or we like him next to Obama. Yeah, or but but do, do you think that it, he's not inspiring enough, or that Warren or or you know Sanders or Buttigieg and like all of them are they? getting people more inspired or is there it's a that more inspiring one. message that it's people that are one turning we from? would have totally settled for him i believe and heck he probably could have pulled it off but elizabeth is accomplishing her mission pete is accomplishing his like they are selling something different and they're not selling it on i'm not biden they're selling their own ideas they are doing some not biden elizabeth's not doing much of that she is purely running in her own lane. And she's saying, if you want to hop on the caboose behind me, feel free to. But I'm not ripping you off their train. And I'm not going to try and derail their train. Um, so he, there's probably some just like anti-Biden sentiment. Just like he's he's not what they expected. That's partially what it was for, for me a little bit. Is like, I liked him a hell of a lot more when he was vice president. Yeah. And... Everything that I created in my mind as, like, the Joe Biden archetype just hasn't held up. But I also want to give credit where credit is due. Elizabeth is selling me every single day. And so that's making me jump off the Biden train a hell of a lot faster. So I guess it's a combination of both. And I can't answer for every voter. Some, it might purely be that Elizabeth, they might still think Joe Biden's great, but that Elizabeth has just sold them. And I I think it probably compounds, too, because Elizabeth is spreading... She might not be attacking Biden directly, but she is feeding the the anti-establishment Democrat sentiment. Yeah. And that that crowd, you know who you are. Very excited right now. Yeah. All across the country. Very, very excited. You know this because every every day you read the news and uh they're 
one of them's announcing they're going to run against a uh, establishment Democrat somewhere in the country. And, and somehow I find my way into all their fundraising emails. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, this is happening. Yeah. It's so funny. I'll, I'll get one of their fundraising emails. Mm-hmm. I'll Google what district it is. I see that the incumbent's a D, and I press unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't a part of that shit. <laughs> But no, I, I agree with you. Um, and, and, you know, I think it'll require looking back on it in 20 years to say, was it a net gain or, or what? Uh, has this movement that so many have inspired? It's, in my opinion, Obama's still even played a major role in this progressive movement we, say to, we see today. Bernie gave them their first outlet as opposed to it. Obama kept them kind of bridged. Um but Bernie did differentiate himself to try and rip them off of Hillary. And now we still see spurts of it today. Oh, God, I just lost my train of no, thought. No, but I think, that, I think the, the way that the party's going right now and the energy that we're seeing is a realization that, like, half measures aren't going to work yeah. in today's era. And now people are saying, like, okay, like, this is what it takes to get a decent living standard in the modern era like this is what it takes we we need more radical ideas we need we need more structural change especially if we want to see that continue generation after generation we need to enshrine things for you know for the next generations about how things are going to be moving forward and that campaign finance gerrymandering those are deep, deep structural issues that are going to define the next generation of politics. Like, how are politics going to be done? Is it going to be done by just a, a few, you know, wealthy elites? Or is it going to be done by everyone? Um, when the New Deal happened, it's almost like we took that pendulum, we swung it far to the left, and instead of letting it sit out there, just by probability, and I think it's it is a lot of it is pure probability. Um, Republicans were able to grab it and rip it back for a conservative era that lasted decades. Mm-hmm. And I guess what we're doing right now is we're trying to take one more swing at it and see if we can get it just out of their reach to where they can't quite get it back in to swing it the other way with just as much momentum. Because there is a scenario, Eddie, in which we win 2020 in the White House, we keep the House, we don't win the Senate, we lose the House in 2022, we lose the presidency, and we just repeat, and who knows, maybe it lasts, maybe they have some great Republican candidate who was like Reagan and builds another conservative era. So we need someone who's strong enough to get that pendulum out of their reach of bringing it back that sounds so like so much like a traitor but i mean we're still living under that sort of cult cultural conservative wave Mm -hmm. and so we're still captured by those ideas no matter how implicitly and so i think that that this new attitude of, wait a second, it's okay for the government to spend money on the people. Like, that. Like that, 
You shit the nail on the head. That is the question. Yeah. And so, right now, we're saying, like, yeah, it is okay. And we're going to... We're going to ask that you do that. <laughs> How are we doing? An hour and 16 minutes of pure My goodness. My goodness. If you're listening this far... Jackson, if you're still listening, you really are a number one fan. <laughs> he listens to every episode. Wow. That's awesome. We need more supportive people like that. Yeah. All right. All right, well, this was a good discussion, and I hope that we revisit it at some point, but for now, I think it's time to wrap this this puppy up. Yeah, follow us on Twitter. Oh, yes. Echo Wonk Yourself. Good content coming there soon. <laughs> yeah, and wait, if you want to, like, you know, tweet <laughs> some idea about a topic you want to see... Yeah, it's just talk about. I think that'd be fun. It would be fun. Do some like uh, listener, listener. I I really like diving topics. into the topics we talk about though. Like, yeah, you should see how many tabs I have open on my computer oh, right yeah. now about campaign finance reform, gerrymandering. Like, let's keep let's keep, keep going. It. All right, Eddie, go wonk yourself. Go wonk yourself. Man.